As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We're recording late on Sunday night to get the very latest reaction after a dismal derby defeat to Manchester City. It's going to probably take the form of more of an inquest, to be honest, this podcast. Uh, but over the course of the next half an hour or so, we'll try to get to the bottom of what happened at the Etihad Stadium and what it means for Manchester United's future as well. Um, with us along for the ride, as always, Laurie Whitwell, fresh from the Etihad Stadium and fresh from dropping a piece on Cristiano Ronaldo, which we'll get into. Been a busy day, Laurie, hasn't it? Busy all day, derby day, always stuff going on. Um, and yeah, we'll get into it a little bit later on, but there was glimmers of perhaps some kind of unorthodox formation working and then absolutely collapsed. Yeah, and you've been sort of checking CR7's GPS tracker, haven't you, during the course of Sunday as well. We'll also talk about that. Andy Mitten, like me, you weren't at the game, um, but it didn't make any nicer viewing. On a television screen, did it really? No, not missed that game for a long time. Me neither. I've got to go and cover matches um, this week, so I'm on the road again in the morning, and I'm good. I, I had a really bad feeling about it this morning. I was really nervous about the game, and spoke to some of my friends who who were on route, and I just felt that even though United had won the last three matches, uh, City could absolutely destroy Manchester United. So. That, that that didn't happen in the first half was a slight surprise, but then all my fears came in the second half. It was just just horrific to watch. It's not it's not just that one game that's making me feel like this. It's how on earth did the Manchester United get out of this and worrying about the future of the club. And I think it goes way beyond just appointing a new manager and everyone being optimistic and signing two or three new players and everyone thinking everything will be great again. I just don't think it will be. No, and it looks a long way away, especially this evening. It's about quarter to ten UK time on Sunday night when we're recording this. A lot of you, I'm sure, will be listening to us on your way into work or whatever you do on a Monday morning. Not looking forward to seeing your Manchester City friends or colleagues or uh, however you want to refer to that particular group of fans. <laughs> um, Laurie, like I said, you were there. I mean, first half was actually okay, wasn't it? Apart from some absolutely shambolic defending. I mean, considering... 
the one thing that we have been able to say about the impact that Ralph Rangnick's had at United has been sort of making United harder to beat, harder to score against, more resolute. What on earth were those two goals? It's two of the weakest goals I think I've ever seen United concede, especially the first. Yeah, disastrous. And, and the way that City score the goals as well, you know, the cutback is their, um, is their trademark really, isn't it? Um, under Pep Guardiola. Yeah. So you know what's coming, but stopping it, I suppose, is another matter, but at least putting up a fight to stop it. You know, there was players not running, there was, um, you know, players leaving. Kevin De Bruyne totally unmarked, you know, looking at Alex Tellis where he's kind of like sort of pointing somebody else to go and close him down. You're thinking, go and close him down yourself. Um, Victor Lindelof standing at the edge of the box after being uh, chipped by Phil Foden, sort of Paul Gascoigne style not running back in and, and listen maybe you know you can point fingers at, at various different players Harry Maguire you know, deflected a, a goal in sort of towards the end um, against Riyad Mahrez lovely finish that it was still you know could he have done better so I think there's there's question marks overall the defenders there I suppose also you look at the team that Ralph Ranyard picked it was an unusual team it was a radical team um, the fact that he went basically 4-2-4 it looked like from, from the get-go with Paul Pogba and Bruno Fernandes as the kind of false nines um, we sort of you know the the debate, I suppose, as to whether that was the the team that he was thinking about doing from from the get go in terms of getting the high press involved, um, or whether the circumstance forced his hand with uh, Cristiano Ronaldo being out with a hip injury. Um, Marcus Rashford obviously was on the bench as well, so he did have a sort of recognised centre forward there, um, but he chose to go a different route. And there were moments in that first half where you could see what the idea was. You know, that certainly the goal was was brilliant, wasn't it? You know, um, a real moment for Jaden Sancho to savoury. He celebrated with the shrug of the shoulders to the City fans that obviously were booing his every touch, given the fact that he left the club as a teenager. And that was where you could see the players, Paul Pogba, sort of back to goal, picking a really nice pass through. Um, you know, Bruno Fernandes making the run on the overlap to, to give Sancho space to cut in and shoot. So it all sort of seemed to work in unison. You could see why having creative players at the, at the top of the pitch, good on the ball, could, you know, unlock City maybe. Um, but yeah, in the second half, it just fragmented and the substitutions that Ranjit made, it seemed like Rashford and Lingard were a little bit lost in that system and it was the white flag, wasn't it? I mean, in, in the second half, you had, you know, the press box at the Etihad is really good view um, of, of the managers and of the fans. So, for example, at the start of the game, you've got Pep Guardiola right out of his touchline, frantically waving his arms, screaming, pointing, because he's seen that United have, have set up in a kind of different way and he's trying to organise his players into the right mode. And I, th- I do think that the first half, maybe City weren't foot down on the gas as much. It's perhaps as much as them not being totally at it as it, as it was as United being okay and, and kind of pre- probing them and pressing them. But then the second half, City turned it on and you had the whole stadium doing the Poznan. So you've got these people that are supposed to be watching the game, turning around, facing you in the press box, smiles on the faces, jumping up and down, linking arms. So it was a pretty dreadful day in the end for Man United. Yeah, I thought Jadon Sancho could have celebrated more, to be honest. He was quite muted in his celebrations, which seemed odd, considering, like you said, he was being booed at the time. But considering the issues for United on Sunday, it's not even worth talking about, really, is it? The second half, Andy... I mean, zero shots uh, on Manchester City's goal. I think it was four touches in the box, uh, something like that. And in the final 15 minutes, when you wanted Manchester United to sort of do something to try and get back into the game, Manchester City had 92% possession. Um, Gary Neville said it was embarrassing, talking on Sky Sports, and Roy Keane just accused the players of giving up. Is that how you saw it? It was embarrassing, and I wasn't surprised by it. And the game at Old Trafford was embarrassing as well. The first half today wasn't embarrassing and Sancho's finish was 
fantastic and the play leading up to it was really impressive and Bruno with his overlap and the ball from Paul Pogba and I was told a couple of hours before kickoff that Pogba and Bruno would be starting as the most advanced players so I was a little bit surprised but it was explained to me that the idea is to stop City playing out try and push them right back and something slightly different to that but the same principle had worked last year with with Anthony Martial He's got the legs on it to, to run and run. And at times, it didn't look conventional, but it also looked like it, it, it was working. United were not that bad in, in the first half, but you asked me in this question about the second half, and it was it was humiliating for Manchester United fans. can't say I'm completely stunned. I think the, the run of fixtures up to this game has been pretty forgiving for Manchester United. And despite that, the team have been... Pretty unconvincing for the main. Failed to beat teams at the bottom end of the table. And by the end of it, City were just toying with United. And I don't know any, whether any good can come from it being so bad that it almost has to feel like a low point. But it's just another low point. And I can't see at the moment how Manchester United are going to get out of this. The confidence of too many players looks absolutely shot. There's question marks everywhere. You said the second half, I think in the first half, neither fullback made a pass tackle. I know it was all coming down one side towards um, Aaron Wambasaka, but I looked at the stats on both of them or two at half time and Alex Talis, and it wasn't pretty reading at all. I think Basaka had, st- had been involved to the start of, of, of Sancho's goal. And then you look at Manchester United's squad at the start of the year. And if you're an outsider, you'd think, look at all these attacking players. And then we come a month or two, three months in, and Marcus Rashford, who's a forward, is starting on a bench. And I understand the reasons for that happening because he's not been playing well. And we discussed it in depth in the last uh, podcast. Edinson Cavani has become increasingly frustrating every week now. He's not quite ready yet. We're going to be out of time soon. And that's that will... How... His second half at Manchester United will be remembered. Not quite ready yet. Be easy to do a parody of him. He's getting a huge wage, and I don't think he's putting it on. But that doesn't ease the frustrations of the fans either. The Ronaldo situation we've covered that a lot. That that's another problem as well. Anthony Martial has obviously been let out on loan, so there are so many questions. And then you come up against a team who are top of the league with a brilliant manager and a brilliant team. And and I know it's City, uh, but they are. The 22 points ahead of Manchester United at the moment. So this was a season when United was supposed to have a title challenge and it looks so, so far off at the moment. And I know we're going to talk about a new manager and who might come in over the summer. I'm just not convinced it'll make that that much difference. I just can't see where the light's coming from at the moment. And it's same old, same old. It's this cycle which takes two or three years. Then the pressure builds pretty quickly. A few defeats in. I remember... One defeat early on in this season at Burn Away. Fans online were going absolutely crazy. So there's a massive overreaction when Manchester United lose a game. And obviously when they lose five games out of seven, it leads to the manager going. But it's a troubled club on in, in so many ways. And I'm pretty um, down on things at the moment ahead of a big, big match against Atletico Madrid in 10 days.
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Before we go any further, let's hear the post-match comments then of Ralph Rangnick after that 4-1 defeat to Manchester City. For us, it was clear if you want to uh, have a chance to to get something out of this game, we have to do a lot of running, a lot of uh, even negative runs. But uh, we did that in the first half. The players tried everything. But uh, as I said, when we conceded the third goal, uh, that killed us off in the end. In the second half, uh, they were the better team. They showed what kind of quality they have. And we were struggling in that second half, uh, especially after they had scored the third one. Everybody knows how good they are. They are... Uh, one of the top teams in the world uh, and uh, yeah, the, there is a gap between the two clubs right now and in the second half it became even more obvious. We are fully aware that we need to win games. This was one of the most difficult ones that we have to play but uh, as I said, now it's about accepting, although it's difficult, accepting that they were the better team today um, and now look, for, look forward to and, and ahead of to the next games uh, and make sure that we, that we win the, especially the next two home games. Picking up from that, Laurie, um, again, fairly open. Um, we can sort of frame him as honest in his assessment of, of what's gone on. Um, the one question it, it, it posed me again, the second half performance, is just how much these players still don't seem to be fully behind what Rangnick wants his team to do. Every single time they seem to be in a position where they need to find something or they need to react or show something, whatever his idea was goes out the window, doesn't it? Yeah, quite possibly. I mean, I suppose he might look at the West Ham game and say that's where they won it late on. Um, but at the same time... That's one game though, isn't it? Out of yeah. how many matches? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I, I think that the second half performance really did show, you know, a kind of confusion really in what he was in what was being asked of them. And, you know, I think it's, it's all sort of very well having a, a kind of tailored system that... that, that shows promise against a team but this is against Man City who know exactly how they play they've had years at it they're all together with it they know where they're going to run and what to do so when you're up against a team that's you know struggling anyway playing a a different system um, they can probably identify where the gaps are going to be and and tease them apart with greater ease ultimately which is which is what happened you know and and it could have been more than four really couldn't it you know there was a, a few close Chances for City, a couple of good saves from De Gea. You know, it felt like they could have actually put the foot down even further if they'd wanted to. But um, it does it does speak to you know issues really. You, you can have questions of Ralph Ranić after the game. He's always you know very open, um, speaks well for sure. Um, I think he he can detail what's happening in the game rather than 
then say, okay, well, how do you then fix it? You know, so it's sort of like almost uh, doing a pundit's role. Um, but you could tell afterwards that he was, I mean, he, he basically said, what's the point in me being frustrated? You know, he was asked the question about Cavani, you know, and, and sort of Ronaldo to, to a degree there, but mainly Cavani because it's been a kind of consistent theme now. And he said, well, what's the point in me being frustrated? You know, there was there's, there is now three strikers, if you include Mason Greenwood, that he thought he was going to have and he, he doesn't have um, available. So there are... You, you can have sympathy for him for sure, um, but you do wonder, as you say, in you know, if if that's the kind of performance that they finish with, are they are they bought into to what he's telling them to do, you know, and and what at what point do you then go, okay, well, it does question how much of a consultancy role he might have if if this season peters out like it, it could do. Listen again, it's a big caveat, you know, they could go and beat Atletico Madrid and Champions League run could sustain, but. If it goes the other way, you know the consultancy, two-year consultancy, you sort of question, okay, how what's that going to look like? And I do think it's still up in the air. We did a piece um, after the press conference on Friday where the kind of exact shape of that will be determined, won't it? You know, he's obviously got a good contacts book. He knows how to build clubs from the ground up. Um, but equally, will they be calling him up every week, asking him for advice? Um, he's not currently involved in the process to appoint a new manager, so that kind of gives you an indication as to you know what might develop from there but yeah it was a it was a performance ultimately that goes down as a a, a real sort of black mark I suppose against Ranić. Laurie mentioned Atletico Madrid they've just beaten Real Betis by the way so just to improve your mood even further and <laughs> Jao Felix who, who scored that goal in in the Metropolitano he scored twice and Thomas Lamar who's been probably their best player this season is also back and firing, and he scored as well against a team of third in the league, and they've just beaten them away. So fantastic! I don't want to add to to this move. Cheers, mate. Um, Thanks it, for that. Yeah. Even more, I think a key issue here is whether the players are having the manager or not. And we all speak to people, and we get different versions of their truth. And I do not get any conviction that the players are fully buying into the manager. And we're seeing that with what we're seeing on the pitch so on one hand I can see that the manager is an intelligent man that he communicates well as Laurie said like a pundit he can pick things apart but then again would you want Roy Keane or Gary Neville managing Manchester United some fans would actually say yes but look at their respective records as managers they didn't get to the, the, the top top level and with Rangnick I hear of, of frustrations uh, with his style right from the start I heard of um, issues with the coaching staff, and that's partly because, and I said it on the podcast, you lost Michael Carrick, Martin Pert, and Kieran McKenna. And nobody wanted to hear that at the time because they associated him with the failed regime of the former manager, which after those results in October, that's how it started to, to look. And I can't say that all 25 players or 20 players or the ones who are available for selection, 16 players, are having the manager uh, or not, because they're all going to have slightly different perspectives on this. But just look at what we're watching on the pitch. Look at the evidence in front of our eyes. And again, we said at the start in December when Ralph Rangnick came in, what will his role be? And I've said right throughout, it will be fluid. If he's doing fantastically well and he's taking Manchester United to St. Petersburg or to Paris or wherever it is, his position of power will be so much higher than where it is at the moment. He's had a really good run of fixtures. Manchester United have not been convincing. He's done all right. And he will absolutely have his arguments about the players. 
and what he tells people in public will be different to what he tells people in private and it's the same for for every manager as well but it is all the opposite of a team or a club where everything is in relative harmony and we're seeing it all the time it's a cycle which we're seeing at Manchester United all the time it's leaks with players being frustrated and it just doesn't lead to having much conviction in what's going on there at the moment and the players know that the manager's going so they're prepared to take risks with him which they wouldn't have taken with someone like Ferguson who they were all scared of there was an answer from Scott McTominay in his post-match interview which I thought was extremely revealing about the mood uh, and the opinion of Manchester United players with what's going on at the moment. He was asked, how deep do the problems run? And this is what he had to say. I've got nothing to say about problems or anything like that. It's not my place to say anything. I'm just here to to keep everybody together. And we've got a big end of the season coming up. We need to win in the Champions League and we need to get in the top four. And that's what I'm thinking about at the minute. Whatever goes on behind the scenes is, is completely irrelevant to me. Obviously, I'm part of it, but... You've just got to concentrate on your own games. You can get too distracted by other things that are going on at the football club and just concentrate on your own game and, and ultimately it shows on the pitch, like you said. And what have you got to do as a group of players now? Sounds cliche, but stick together, stick as a group. We can't let something like this be be so damaging to us where we, we lack confidence going into the next game. We have to stick together and that's, as I say, it's tough for me to say, but it's part and parcel of being a Man United player. You can't let your head drop in, in times like this we've had. Many successful times in the derby, but this one hurts today. He's obviously not said anything there, really, but he's also he has said something. You know, between the lines, you, you can tell that he's a a guy that there feels was, there wasn't a lot of eye contact when he was saying those things. Right, either, to okay, be honest. right. That's interesting. I mean, I suppose. Listen, he's obviously maybe a I'm overanalyzing it, but yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think you I think you're fair enough too because he's obviously someone that you know cares deeply about the club and speaks pretty eloquently. I did a column with him um, at the Euros where he went into detail about the role of a midfielder. He's a, he's a smart guy, and I think clearly you can tell from what he's saying there that it's hurting at the moment. Um, and perhaps he would like to say more publicly, but he's not going to. <laughs> you know, he can't come out in a TV interview after a game and sort of bear all. I mean, we had a little bit of that, didn't we? David De Gea after the Watford game where it felt quite close to the bone for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so clearly Scott McTominay is choosing his words carefully um, yeah, clearly players talk behind the scenes about what's going on um, I'd be fascinated wouldn't you to, to actually be in the dressing room and hear what goes on live because as Andy you know, and, and you know um, you know, you kind of get stuff a little bit second hand sometimes you're not there right on the coal face so it would actually be great to sort of be kind of fly on the wall um, when it's all going down and, and then you could really understand where sort of loyalties lie and, and who's perhaps got a real um, grievance in what they're thinking or a real validation in what they're saying. Um, but yeah, I, I, don't know. I, I think someone like Scott McTominay, I know he gets a, a bad time, but I think he is someone who actually epitomises what is, is pretty good about United. He, he always commits himself, he always tries um, and clearly he, he, you know, perhaps he isn't elite elite you know, in terms of midfielders, but he does have a good passing range, he can do a certain job in, in certain games. I think you miss him when he's not there. Certainly some of the players feel like that. So, it would, But it would be really interesting to know what he truthfully thinks. It was the fact that he sort of jumped on the question, really. How deep do the problems run and automatically presumed that it was all about the stuff off the pitch and around the club and things like that. His, his mind went to that instantly rather than sort of bringing it back to the football pitch as in their position in the league table or how how big the issues were on the pitch uh, on Sunday against Manchester City, that's what I, I found interesting more than anything. 
Um, right, Laurie, let's get into your piece because, like I said before, it's literally only just dropped. Uh, the headline to it on The Athletic is Ronaldo and a trip to Portugal that caused surprise at Manchester United. We know he wasn't on the pitch at the Etihad Stadium, but you're telling us now that he wasn't even in the country. Is that right? Yeah, it's our understanding that he was in Portugal for the game. Um, uh, that's what everyone's expectations were. And as you were saying, um, you know, we haven't got Instagram updates from him um, with a, a pin location, but that was where everyone expected him to be uh, for watching the game. Um, yeah, listen, warm weather can help recovery, can't it? I suppose that's the idea behind it. But at the same time, I think there was a little bit of surprise from people that he didn't sort of stick around because he's got such a huge aura. He obviously has opinions about what's going on on the pitch. You know, we, we've reported before about him in a meeting with Ralph Ranić talking about playing two up top. Um, you know, he's obviously quite a vocal presence. He knows his own mind. Anyone at Juventus can tell you that he um, is very opinionated in that regard. So I kind of, the idea was that, you know, would, would he actually have, have benefited the club by being around, you know, the Etihad or, you know, around the dressing room sort of offering, you know, uh, sort of guidance, advice, maybe that, that might have been helpful perhaps. But listen, you know, he wants to, you know, recuperate in the warm weather of Portugal. Um, you know, we'll see when he comes back and, You've got the game on Saturday against Tottenham, so I think you know United do have you know a day to to, to rest. You know, it's not like he's he's missing anything, um, and obviously he is injured with his hip flexor. So, you know, the idea hopefully is that he gets recovered and is back in time for the Tottenham game, and then beyond that, the Atletico game, which I think he will surely be eyeing up. You know, the the way that he's played in that tournament already this season sort of suggests that that's the real big one for him. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting topic. I mean, I don't know what what do you guys think? Are you fuss that you know he wasn't in the country you know what do you kind of think about it I think if you've got your own private plane then going to Portugal to him is just like getting on a bus but the fact that he wasn't at the stadium uh, could be read into in, in a negative way uh, I don't think he's um, completely having the manager I think he's one of several players who's who's in that position and him being there or being in the dressing room given how important he, he is as a character I think could have had a plus value or him not playing and getting the hump and going to Portugal. I think he's closer to to how I would I would read the situation. And it's a shame that it's coming to this with Cristiano Ronaldo because remember the mood on the pod when he signed? It was not a negative mood. It was positive. We thought that it was a coup, that he still had it. And there's been times when he's shown that he's still got it, but... This year so far, and the calendar year, is turning into a pretty sorry sight, unfortunately. And it's another problem for for Manchester United. So I think if you're having um, Maguire, who's, who's, who's had a load of stick, um, and I can understand why he's had stick, he went to Gdansk. He's like a lightning rod for the stick, isn't yeah, he, Harry you, Maguire? You, it's not like he's the only issue, is it? It's not the only issue, and I can understand why. And even today, with that second goal, he could have put the could have put the ball out uh, and I think there's always got to be a scapegoat I think the f- some fans always yeah. always need a scapegoat but I always remember him going to the final in Gdansk and taking his family with him and most of the other players they didn't take any family with him partly because uh, some of them are not English and you know it, logistically it was more difficult for them but and, and I know he's a team captain but if you if you go and you travel I think that can be can be a good thing as well but it just seems a very fractious dressing room at the moment and when things don't go right and they're not going right people start to apportion blame everywhere and then McTominay fronts up in front of the camera 
he's not the most um, senior player in the squad. He's not a kid either. He's t- I think he's 25 now. Yeah, he um, is. He's a, he's a grafter. I think Manchester United are better having him at the club than not having him at the club. Technically, he's not De Bruyne. We know that. And he does speak well. He speaks well, as, as Laurie said, as um, when he's talking to journalists. And he's, and he's hurting. And he can't come out and say things explicitly because it'll be... Um, twisted and swirled and the next thing you're having the cracked badge on the back of, of newspapers but we're not stupid we know that they're not celebrating in the dressing room after that performance because once again it was terrible and United have got some really big games coming up against the likes of Liverpool before the end of the season and where's the progress there isn't the team are going backwards yeah, a really interesting piece from Laurie. So go and have a look at that on The Athletic if you can. Lots of detail in that about the whole situation with Ronaldo missing the derby, including a line about how Manchester United were training uh, and how they were preparing for the game before Ronaldo picked up the injury, which is quite revealing as well. Remember, if you've not got a subscription to The Athletic, there's an offer on at the minute where you can get the first six months for just £1 a month. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to sign up. You get full access to all our great Manchester United writing and analysis, plus ad-free versions of all the Athletics podcasts, including this one. So make your way to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod and sign up now for six months at just one pound a month. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I said at the start of this podcast that we'd also be talking about what this result means for Manchester United's future. I think one thing it has done, Laurie, is just bring into sharper focus the big decisions that United have going forward. I'm not really sure why the narrative immediately goes to look at the gulf between Manchester United and Manchester City. Andy alluded to it earlier. United have finished an average of 20 points behind Manchester City since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. I don't think it's anything new that the league table shows the difference between the two teams. Why we come back to that every time, I don't know really. Perhaps just because it's Derby Day and it's the easy narrative. But just focus on United. Just look at what they've got to do. There's some huge decisions ahead in terms of the team, in terms of the manager, in terms of the structure of the club. Um, where are we up to with the manager search? You've written about it, like you said, after the press conference on Friday, after Ralph Rangnick's first press conference in person ever as the United boss at Carrington. Um, there won't be many of them, though, will there? <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. 
Count, counting down, what is it, like 10, ten league games left? Um, That's so, it, yeah. Yeah, That's it. At least it was nice to be back. Um, I know it's probably a bit of a niche thing to talk about, but journalists being able to actually ask questions in person, it, it, it makes a big difference. And I mean, even after the... Was the, was the coffee machine working? Uh, it was. I didn't have a coffee. I just had one of the cookies uh, by the coffee machine. Oh, you got a cookie then. All right. I got a cookie, yeah. Get a, that get, explains get... why your question was quite nice. <laughs> got a sugar rush. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is nice because you can you can ask follow up questions. So with the Zoom situation, it's basically you get one question and it's kind of like a bit stilted. It's obviously you know we appreciate it, but it's better to be in person. You can ask a follow up. You know you can see what people are saying. You can gauge how they're saying it. So for example, even even um, tonight after the game, um, David McDonnell of the Daily Mirror um, asked. Ranjik a follow-up question just you know because he, he was right there in front of him and he, he was like, locking eyes with him so it ju- just makes things a lot easier so anyway it was a nice thing to be back at Carrington Ralph Ranjik came in very cheerily hello everybody you know he was happy to be you know in person I think as well so hopefully you know that can continue for the rest of the season um, doing it face to face and then yeah we did a piece because basically my, my question to him was how involved are you going to be in this you know next managerial um, sort of selection and because you know he's obviously got this two-year consultancy tagged on at the end of um his, his managerial reign um and, and his response was that he, he wasn't really involved you know he's not had any conversations and listen a, a manager might be diplomatic in, in in person might be sort of guarded with the truth um and behind the scenes actually you know different realities emerging just because he has to play uh, the game a little bit but I think you can take Ralph Randy pretty much at face value with what he says usually um and then yeah speaking to other people uh, myself and David Ornstein uh, worked on the piece just to kind of get a sense of where United were at um, because you know the, the idea is that United do want to move quite quickly on this. It's not something that they want to get to the end of the season and then make a make a call because you know there's signings that need to be made and there's there's players that need to be decided upon whether they're going to stay or not. Um, you know, so I think United are progressing things. Um, obviously, John Murt is leading that um, sort of hunt, I suppose. Uh, Darren Fletcher, no doubt, will be. Um, in support of that um, and yeah we're, we're told that they've met candidates already um, you know Eric Ten Hag is one that's on the list um, Richard Pochettino is another that's on the list uh, but there is uh, a wider scope of managers that they are looking at as well it's not sort of just narrowed down to those two um, but I, I do think they are the kind of prime names that you know keep being discussed and when you speak to sources you know kind of keep coming back to it PSG Leonardo this week the sporting director was saying that you know nothing's changed from their point of view you know they've still got Mauricio Pochettino for another year after this one um, and the idea is that you know he will continue to lead them um, obviously Zinedine Zidane is sort of looming in, as a shadow in the background there but I do think quite a lot hinges perhaps on the Champions League you've got Ajax in the Champions League you've got PSG in the Champions League Manchester United as well and there's still a lot of question marks over those competitions and whether when all those clubs maybe are out or, or you know, the through to the final, then I think a bit of clarity will emerge. But it does feel like United are actually um, kind of progressing things with a bit of alacrity, um, which is, I guess, what we all want to hear. I suppose the proof is in the pudding now. You know, nothing's happened yet. With a bit of what? Alacrity. Have I used that word right? I don't, I haven't got a theosaurus on me. Andy's nodding. Andy? Yeah, he has. Yeah, he's used it right. Yeah. Has he? Well, I don't even know what it means. Um, I think mind. I think it's in Little Women, Ian. Is it in that? Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Joe, you know, I had a couple of people come up to me today <laughs> say they, they really enjoy Little Women. So we do have some some people that listen that have um, watched the film at least. Okay. They're obviously better educated than me. Um, <laughs> it means it means like brisk and, and, and purposeful. And okay. Manchester they sound United like good things. do need to advance. 
Well, they're sending an agent, agent Andy, aren't they, to Madrid this week to tap someone up, I believe. Well, I, I am going to Madrid to cover the Real Madrid-Paris Saint-Germain game. Oh, aye. For work, <laughs> not, not for Manchester United. Wow. And I can remember covering PSG. Two birds, one stone. Exactly. Well, it's funny because I remember a year ago going to cover PSG and being struck by how media savvy Mauricio Pochettino was in terms of like, I don't know whether he's just playing a, a big game or not, but I thought he's, he's a man who like knows how to use the media. Uh, so it's obviously a massive game for, for them this week. It's tricky for Manchester United public. They can't really say anything because the the people who they are likely to be caught in are likely to be under contract. So can't be saying anything publicly. But Manchester United can't just appoint a new manager on July the 1st and then say, right, which players do you want? These things have got to be working months and months in advance. So when Jose Mourinho came in in 2016, I remember mid-April and someone at the club saying there's no way we would appoint someone like him but 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 talks were already pretty advanced and they knew absolutely that someone like him was going to be appointed and I think there's lots of nods and winks and managers would find the job at Manchester United attractive and would like to be given assurances and what sort of budgets he's have and what sort of players that they want so I don't think any decision has been made at all, but now is the time. It's intensifying, as it should do. We're into March. The season's over in a couple of months. And you know, Ralph, he can enjoy the moment winning the Champions League in Paris, but we've got to be thinking about next season as well. Andy, what do you think the biggest consideration will be in picking the next manager? Someone will come for a start. <laughs> because That would help. Well, look at it on one level. Say Pochettino, right, someone who's been linked... He's currently managing a far better team living in a city which most people would say is slightly more attractive than Manchester. So you Blue skies think, today, Andy. Yeah, I know, I know. They've never been I out know. on Deansgate locks, have they? Clearly, I, I, yeah. But some people might say, why are you leaving that? And I'm not privy to the internal politics of, of PSG. Um, I think the two names which keep coming up Arten Hag, he's very much uh, the ascendant manager. He's done a fantastic job at Ajax. He's won trophies. I think Pochettino's got the Premier League experience. He hasn't won trophies, but to take Spurs to a European Cup final was was some achievement. He'll win trophies by the end of this season. He has won, obviously, the Cup, but you know he's going to have a, a, yeah. a boosted CV in that regard by the end of this campaign. I'm pretty sure of that. He will. I, I spoke to... Um, a former Manchester United uh, player last week who who knows him, and he said that he'd been for lunch with him. Um, I'm going back a year now, and he was just struck by how smart he was. And I thought that's pretty strong. And just to just to sort of pick him out and say this is someone who Manchester United should be going for. I think if you ask fans now, Ten Hag will be more of a flavour of the month because. He's not getting any negative baggage. People just see this shiny new manager who's doing fantastically well at Ajax. But as Laurie said, other managers um, will absolutely be under consideration as they were in the in the initial process. Uh, I said uh, all along, I really like Luis Enrique, but there's a World Cup at the end of this year, so it'd be very very difficult to get him out of uh, out of the Spain job. I think that when a new manager is appointed. 
we'll have exactly the same flood of optimism that we had in every single appointment so far. And I'm just not convinced by that either. Or even by bringing two or three new signings. And I think next season will probably start with everyone going, we're under the new man now, everything's going to be great. But I just worry that the, the problems run deeper than that. Yeah, keep your eye on The Athletic for the very latest on Manchester United's hunt for a new boss. To continue that discussion from what Andy just said then, Laurie, today did really bring in to sharper focus, to use that term again, the idea that United have got so much work to do. I sort of poo-hooed the idea of it um, displaying the gulf between Manchester United and Manchester City again, which Danny Taylor's written a piece on so eloquently. But th- there is sort of structural stuff that United need to fix as well if whoever they appoint in the, in the summer is going to be a long-term success. And today just brings that, again, to use that term, into sharper focus, doesn't it? It makes it seem more important than ever if they're going to do this and, and, and get back to where they were. Yeah, there needs to be joined up thinking between the guys that make the signings, the, the guy that's the coach, and then the, the guys that are out there on the pitch doing the business. Because you've seen here now, you've got an interim manager with players that are, contracts are running out, you know, in, in some regard, players that wanted to leave in other regards, players that, you know, are not happy with the minutes they're getting in, in, in other ways as well. So it's it's a kind of a melting pot of, of, of issues. And so therefore when you actually get a new guy in, he won't, no no one manager, I don't think, can wave a magic wand and sort this out. It's going to take a lot of time. You look at Pep Guardiola, I know you, you loathe to make that comparison, um, but he had a structure in place where, you know, all the players are bought with his idea in mind, even before he came, you know, there was players being bought with an idea that Pep Guardiola would take over and, and these guys would Executives be, were being brought in executives to were being his idea. In. I mean, listen, yeah. Pep Guardiola is a genius manager. You can't dispute that. You know, he's obviously done it wherever he's but been. But the structure was in place, like you say. And the structure helps. He's, he's been empowered yeah. in that position in that sense. And then you look at Liverpool as well down the road, you know, <laughs> loathe again to sort of use them as an example, but Jurgen Klopp's there and you've got you know, people around him where the signings that they make look like smart signings each time they do them. And the, and the guy that they buy fits into the team pretty much straight away. You know, um, look at Diaz that they've just bought in. And, you know, he's he's challenging now Dogo Yotto, who, who came in and, and he's done really well at Anfield. So, you know, there's, there's signings there that make sense. And listen, they might not all work out, but at least you can see where they're coming from. Um, so that's, you know, you've got the Paul Pogba conundrum um, coming up this season Jesse Lingard obviously will leave the club Anthony Marshall what happens to him so many different questions so to, to sort of think that one guy will, will, will sort it all out is, is probably you know foolhardy um, I mean yeah I, I, I like Mauricio Pochettino from what I've seen I think he, he did a really good job at Tottenham I suppose you do have that question mark over um, you know is he has he has he, has he got that winner's edge? You know, I know he will win with PSG, but it's kind of set up to do so. So let let's see. But equally, Eric Ten Hag, he's managed Ajax, and you know he's done really well there. He's shown glimpses in Europe as well of overachieving for what he, he should be getting. Um, and and is is there some similarities there with Sir Alex Ferguson? Really, you know, in terms of a um, doing it in that way. I suppose Ajax were are a dominant club for 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 Holland rather than Aberdeen. You know, you know, having to break the Glasgow duopoly, but. Um, but then also you speak to people and you think, is he going to be big enough for Manchester United as a manager? You know, it's it's a, it's another step up entirely from Ajax to Manchester United and the fact that, 
you know, I think some people have said about um, his accent weirdly in Holland, you know, he speaks with an accent that's not from Amsterdam. And, and at first that meant that people didn't take him seriously, you know, so therefore speaking in English, uh, you know, um, in another way, will people doubt that? So it's, there are questions and yeah, I wish <laughs> it could be a sunnier disposition right now. And you could kind of go, actually, if they get this guy, then it'll all change and it'll all be fantastic. But it's the systemic stuff there that also needs addressing. Yeah, we're not brightening anyone's Monday morning, are we, at this rate? Uh, A blue Monday again. (laughs) Oh, here we go. Um, Right, let's round off the podcast then, just by touching upon the league position now for Manchester United, Andy, if that's okay. Again, we're not cheering anyone up with this either, are we now? One point behind Arsenal in the race for fourth place. Arsenal have three games in hand. Obviously, lots of teams around United. Um, with the same sort of ambitions, but obviously Arsenal ahead of them now. Spurs, of course, who Manchester United face next, are five points behind. That's the good news. But they've also got three games in hand. Uh, And obviously it makes the next Premier League game for United at Old Trafford next weekend even more important. Are we sort of getting towards the point where we're considering that United might be outside of the Champions League? And if they are outside of the Champions League, is it the Europa League or is it the European Conference League even? I mean, either of those things seem a massive disappointment, but the thought of Manchester United in the Europa Conference League, I mean, there's been quite a few lows in recent times, but that would be something else, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think the only good that can come from that would be people will be going to new grounds and new cities for the first time. And actually, some of the away fans would like that idea, but it's sad that we're even talking like this. United held on to that fourth position for so long in in the last month or two because the other teams around kept dropping points. But Arsenal have got their act together. Arsenal, who I think they've won four on the bounce now, they beat Watford this weekend. And they're clear favourites now. They're ahead of Manchester United. They've played fewer matches. They've been patient with the manager. Maybe that's something for Manchester United looking forward. They brought young players through. They spent a lot of money. They went through a lot of bumps. They missed out on Europe. And they they look towards their youth system and Manchester United have done that traditionally. We should also mention the Youth Cup this Wednesday at Old Trafford. Get down there and support the team. Yes. It's a semi-final against Wolves. And that's been one bright element of Manchester United um, this season. So as we speak, Manchester United are not favourites to finish fourth. I still think there'll be a, a couple of twists and turns in that. I can't just see an Arsenal team who've not been overly consistent keeping winning all the time and they've got some really tough games as well but the problem is Manchester United draw every game uh, unless they're playing a really good team and we're losing that at the moment United have have got to find a, a level of form which the team have not found all season apart from the first couple of weeks and and as we speak now I cannot see where that's coming from unfortunately so failure to get into the top four to finish fourth, I think, would be a failure for Ralph Rangnick. I think if he got into fourth, you could say he's been a success or if he wins the Champions League or even got to the semi-final. It'd be job done, wouldn't it? Yeah. It would be job done. And he's still got time to do that. But um, if Manchester United finish fifth, sixth, seventh, then you can't say it's job well done. Yeah, and you never know, Laurie, do you? Fourth place is still on until it's not on. And th- there can always be a turning point. I remember Andy saying a few weeks ago, speaking to a fan, saying you never know when the, the dawn's coming or the, the tide is about to turn or whatever the, the exact saying was. But United have got Tottenham next. Uh, they've still got Liverpool, 
uh, to face at Anfield this season. They've still got Arsenal to face at the Emirates this season. They've got Chelsea to come to Old Trafford. Uh, they even face an improving Leicester in a couple of weeks as well, who've found form at the perfect time to face Manchester United again, it seems. Um, it's really tough, isn't it? It's going to be really, really difficult to climb back above Arsenal with those matches they've got in hand. and Because United need to find the points to do that. You know, you, Arsenal might drop points and be inconsistent. So might Tottenham, so might West Ham. Um, but United have to get the points, don't they? <laughs> yeah, that, you'd, you'd rather have the points on the board and, and Arsenal have got one point more with, with three games in hand and, and they look pretty good against Watford. I know it wasn't a, a romp at all, but they've, they've seemed like they're in a good mode, you know, and they made a, a big call to get rid of Obama Yang in January. Um, you know, people question that. It looks like a decent decision, you know, because Mikel Arteta's got a group of players there that he, he wants to have, you know, that they sort of buy into his methods. Um, it seems a pretty harmonious setup. So, yeah, I do think, I mean, that, that, that game against Arsenal, it's in April, isn't it, at the Emirates? Um, I think it's the same night that Tyson Fiore fights um, Dillian White for the heavyweight world title. So, could be a pretty explosive evening in London. Knockout blows all around so it. So, there's, there's got to be some kind of boxing pun that, that's yeah. been used for that. You know, evening, and, and if it isn't, it, it, the only thing is, you, you think the only way it could be a knockout is for, for United. You, you kind of think Arsenal, with the points they've got and the games in hand, they'll be in it till the the end of the season. But you can see how that could be a make or break game for Man United already. Um, and yeah, it, that they, they are the big ones, aren't they, Arsenal? Because I think Tottenham and, and West Ham have shown vulnerabilities, but Arsenal seem like they're in a good way. Okay, if anyone is still listening to this and haven't switched us off <laughs> in some sort of state of depression. Um, Thank you, first of all, for being with us the whole time. And hopefully things do pick up and Manchester United can find an unlikely way to fourth. As I'm saying this, Andy Mitten has just put his head down, run his fingers through his hair and shaken his head. So I think that pretty much sums it up. But thank you all for your company. Remember, you can still get that offer on The Athletic, just £1 a month for the first six months. Sign up now, go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But for the minute, Andy, thank you very much. Laurie, thank you too. We'll be back on Thursday to preview that Tottenham game. And because there hasn't been a great deal to smile about on this podcast, we're going to leave you with a memory, a good memory from this season. The last time that Manchester United faced Tottenham Hotspur. Enjoy. See you next time. Bye-bye. Fernandes. Ronaldo! Tottenham's nemesis with a special strike. Cavani, never in doubt, what a finish. Matic finds Rashford, onside, Rashford, game over. The Athletic.